everybody welcome back to another episode of the homeroom educating educators i am drew misson your host with my co-host the lovely kaylee how are you going kaylee good how are you great i tried to get kaylee to do the intro for this one and i just got a simple no i won't be doing nah. that. <laughs> didn't even say that it was just like no 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 which is ironically <laughs> what you get sometimes as a teacher in the classroom when you try to prompt a student to do something no no oh we get that a lot my my three-year-old, I'm just now understanding, as we're having this conversation, has been saying, nah. Nah. As a whole response, nah. I'm like, okay, well, at least she gets it honest. <laughs> Which does kind of bring us to our topic for today. We're thinking about talking about curriculum broadly, but unschooling. So like you listeners would know, if your child is in the public school system, private, you will still need to unschool a lot of traits that the system tries to put into your children. And if you'll end up going down the homeschool route, you've got a better chance of achieving that. So where would you like to start, Kaylee? So I used to believe that if you homeschooled, you had a better way of achieving that like de-schooling thing. But we're on the struggle bus with our oldest. He is like bucking it. Like he doesn't want to do anything. Like, I don't know if this is an age he's 11 or if it's um just like different personalities like he doesn't feel like he should have to do anything ever like he runs this shit over here um and we we do a lot of unschooling but we still do a loose curriculum um we use the becca it's a christian based um private school curriculum uh, it's pretty advanced. It's like a grade level ahead of everyone else. Um, and he's only been doing math and like two worksheets a day and that's it. And then he can do whatever he wants, but he makes it take all day so that he doesn't have to do anything else. Right. Like he's figured out the little game. Like when I'm done with this, I'm going to have to do chores. So the other day he was doing dishes and he goes, I just had a great idea and i'm like well what is what is this great idea and he said what if we did an experiment where i went to public school and see how i compared to the kids who have been doing it longer and me being a homeschool graduate i know this game i know this <laughs> i did this i was you and i'm like oh that is very interesting we we could do that experiment and we wouldn't even have to go anywhere We'll just do the schedule that our town, their school does. Their assessments, everything like that. And we'll see how you compare. In his face, he was so pissed. Like, he didn't even think, like, oh, wait, she was homeschooled. She knows my little game. (laughs) Then, 
if he tries to back it up, go, you know what? We know an Australian teacher. Let's let's do another experiment how you compare against the Australian <laughs> school system. Yes. So um, for the past week, we've been doing our public school at home experiment where he wakes up at six and he does his chores before like his morning chores, like brush your hair, brush your teeth, clean your room, feed the dogs. And then the bell rings at 8.05 and now you have math and then you have all of these subjects that he didn't previously had. So like you played yourself. <laughs> so it's been really interesting over here. I've I've had a lot of different thoughts since our last podcast about life in general. It sounds like you've got to the point where... And it does happen with older kids, but it is happening younger and younger within schools as well. It's called the. No, I'm going to throw in another government term, and you're going to hate it. <laughs> oppositional <laughs> defiance disorder, where students have got the nah, don't want to do it. I don't like that. It doesn't interest me, so I'm not doing it. Right. That, that exists everywhere. I think that's what you've hit at the moment. But before we jump into how you overcome that, and I think you've done a really good mental gymnastics with him to try and throw it back at back in his face of how to <laughs> tackle that. Perfect. But we need to try and break down what unschooling means and why you need to unschool. I think we need to tackle that first. Okay. So as we know, every state, every country, everywhere you go, if it's a government school, even if it's private, it will have its own curriculum. A curriculum essentially is the things students need to learn and by when and how to teach it. Right. Essentially what it is, black and white. Unfortunately, when you take into account government bodies or state governments or federal governments, they unwittingly or deliberately, I'm going with the latter, they will influence public perception and ways of thinking through the curriculum. So much that they actually call it, get ready for a drum roll, it is social conditioning. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. It is social conditioning. Big one we see in my home state at the moment is a means of trying to prevent domestic violence. So we've got a mandated curriculum called Respectful Relationships. On its face, fantastic. Yeah, we want people to respect each other. We want young men to grow up responsible and not going out and beating their wives or girlfriends or significant others. That's a terrible thing. We don't want that to happen. But in amongst all that, there's a lot of the alphabet people stuff. There's a lot of the trans stuff. There's all this left-wing ideology which is being rammed down kids' throats. Right. That shouldn't be there. And that's, in essence, is the problem with mandated government curriculum. Doesn't matter what government's in power, they're going to put their own spin on things to socially condition your children to the society they want. Right. So, how and do we, we see over- that even in our Christian curriculum, like we don't necessarily abide by any set of spirituality. And I think every curriculum, and how could it not? but they each have their own agenda. But when you're trying to teach something and it's a group of people or a person who is putting this together, of course, it's going to have their beliefs behind it. Yeah. It's all going to have its own form of bias. And I think the key is being able to recognize and see that bias. And if you do have your children in a government school that you can't pull out for whatever reason, financial, social, whatever, you need to be able to, at very least counter that with your own thoughts, family upbringing upbringing, and morals. 
because your right. kids are going to be exposed to a whole lot of stuff you probably a don't know about and b are totally against what you hold sacred within right. your own family and a good thing you could do um is it seems pretty basic but just know what curriculum is being taught ask your kids questions about what they're being taught not like what did you learn today that's always the blanket statement but ask in depth questions like what are you learning about xyz what did your teacher say about this you know look at what they bring home like don't be absent in their education yeah and for families who have got kids in government schools worldwide most likely there is a government website where you can jump on and look at the curriculum it exists. That's where the teachers get their knowledge from about what they need to teach. Teachers don't automatically absorb all the stuff that they need to teach and know it. They actively have right. to look at what the government tells them to teach. So it's right. there. It's written down. It's in black and white. You can see it. But we we definitely saw a lot of this happen during COVID where the homeschooling happened. For the first time, parents had an insight into what their children were actively learning. I think it shocked a lot of people. Honestly, it I really think so did. too, because the homeschool demographic grew after that like wildfire 15 million american kids in homeschool amazes me i love it yeah it's amazing and i don't care what you believe like you could want your kid to grow up being a socialist if that's your belief and schools aren't teaching what you think your child needs to be taught it is your right and your responsibility to take them out of those environments and take that into your own hands and i get that some people can't but I think the majority of us could if we were a little bit more creative and less consumeristic. Yeah. And that kind of gets into like a lot of stuff you and Kayla are doing or Moral Bob are doing rather what you're doing to try and decentralize yourself from the system. Unfortunately, because the system, the debt system, everything that exists, we're built into having to put our kids into school. We have to go to work. Right. um, We can't stay at home with the kids for five hours a day to teach them. We have to earn a crust. We have to do something. And the more right. you decentralize, the more flexibility you have in what you can do. Absolutely. And so it's kind of funny. I mean, the less money you make, the less money you can spend. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I write, there you go. It, it seems to go: the more ma- money you make, the less happy you are. Right, and the I mean, more money, more problems. Right. That's that's right. Exactly right. So we've got this issue of families finally got to see behind the curtain and what's happening in public schools. I think it was such a big shock because our own memories of schools, we didn't have that level of social conditioning. We Maybe we did, but it wasn't as so blatant and politically motivated as what we had as kids. When we were kids, and I know I'm a little bit older than you, but when we went to school, it was learning the basics. It was your three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. That was seemed to be it. Now, when you look at the curriculum and as a teacher, seeing what needs to be taught, air quotes, needs to be taught. There's so much to it. You're not going to have the time in the day, the days in the year to actually teach it all. It's just not attainable. Right. And you take into the things that the government prioritizes. If they're prioritizing social agendas to change social perceptions or change social interactions, why is that getting a priority over a kid's ability to actually balance a checkbook to go to the shops and figure out what they can buy, what can they afford, healthy eating, um, actually going out and playing games and doing something physically, learning about history, writing. God, handwriting has gone to the dogs. 
Kids can't <laughs> handwrite anymore. Cursive well, is gone. Cursive is gone. It's gone. When we were doing our co-op before we moved, I had an assistant that had recently become homeschooled. They were from Canada and they moved to Texas um, during COVID because everything was so crazy. And she was in public school for the first time. I mean, American public school. And she said they got in trouble for taking notes because of the impact on the environment. So everything needed to be on the computer. So people would have their computers out. And of course, you have a bunch of teenagers on computers. Are they taking notes? Or I mean, come on. Like as an adult, as an adult, it's hard for me to pull up my phone to do anything work related without getting distracted. I'm 29 years old. Like you're asking teenagers to, but yeah, she got in trouble for writing on paper because of the impact of on the environment. And I mean, that's one of the reasons handwriting is so awful now. Maybe kids just aren't literally writing on paper. Hey, they may not be able to read or write cursive, but they know all 36 genders. And emojis. And emojis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's that's the thing that gets me. I have to laugh about it. When you prioritize that kids need to know pronouns and the 36 genders they keep banging on about, how does that help them? How does that help them beyond their job? I can guarantee you if I was running a private business and someone put down in their application they were a they, them, or a Z or a Zim, I wouldn't be hiring them. Not out of a, a basis of I'm a bigot or I don't approve of their way of life. They can live however they want to. But that tells me they're a person who's going to be a difficult employee. Very difficult. Well, it's just it's um, just the audacity for me that they insist on being they, them when they can't tell the difference between they're, there and there. <laughs> so maybe choose different pronouns. I don't know. That's not right for you. So what do we do? What would what would your suggestion be? How do you try to unschool? Because you've said you've come up against this kind of oppositional defiance disorder. Yeah, buzzwords. Uh, <laughs> where it's a no, I don't want to do that. Doesn't interest me. Oh, I just want to do maths and that's it. Or I just want to do the one thing I'm good at and the rest of it right. I can't bother. right. And that's it. And for the most part, like, I've been okay with that. Like, as our society is, and as homesteaders, I don't know how much you actually need to be doing schoolwork, right? All of life is learning. Do you need to know how to diagram a sentence? Probably not. Like, you probably don't need that in our lifestyle when people can't even do there 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 right but the fact is you also need to have to do things you don't want to do and like i don't want to sound harsh but in our society we're very lazy um if you have been out to eat recently i don't know if it's the same there as it is here the wait staff is horrible like it's <laughs> awful. You will sit and wait and wait and your order will be wrong. And it's basically you get what you get. You don't throw a fit. And then they expect to be tipped or however much you pay them hourly. And they can't get a job right because everybody's so lazy. Like you, I don't know if you need to know how to diagram a sentence, but you're also going to have to do things you don't want to do. And I know that comes with a lot of backlash from our unschooling community, but we are not 
raising entitled little brats around here. And if you're going to be a jerk about two math pages, guess what? Now you're doing history and you're doing PE and you're doing science and you're going to learn how to diagram sentences. Sorry about your bad luck. I, I, I say to students in my class all the time, art or whatever subject you're teaching, it's not going to be every kid's favorite subject or something they're strong in. So naturally walls will come up. They don't, won't want to do it. But I always go to, I understand you don't like this, but you're here. It's what you need to do. I don't necessarily want to come to work each day. I'd much rather be at home working <laughs> right. in my garden, uh, out at the farm, having a good time, but I can't do that. That's the reality. <coughs> and we need to try and instill that in our kids as much as we want them to be free thinkers, open-minded, Right. Conscious status quo, they still have to live within the status quo to some de- some degree. To they, some degree. They have to know how yeah. to navigate it. And it brings me back to the idea that it's a generational change because I was talking to a good friend about this, and it's a great analogy, that when we grew up, if we had a day sick from school, we'd sit down and we'd watch daytime television. We didn't have a choice yeah. what we could watch. We couldn't go on Netflix and choose something. We'd have to scroll right. through the TV until we found something we like. Often we would develop interests based on what was available and that would change right. our world, worldview a bit. When we came home from school, we'd do our chores, we'd play games, and generally you'd sit down and you'd watch whatever your mum and dad were watching. Exactly. So you would develop interests around what your family likes. Now kids come home and they focus on themselves. They're egocentric more than ever. They are so focused right. on them and no one else. It's actually destroyed the family within the family with all this technology. Oh, of course. Happening. Like, I remember growing up, we only had one TV um, when I lived with my dad. And we watched what the adults were watching. And it was very seldom that we got to pick a movie. And uh, my husband and I were talking about that the other day because, I mean, we have a TV in our room. So if the kids want to have a movie night, we let them pick a movie and we come in here and watch something else. That would have never happened with us and our parents because we watched what they were watching and it it's kind of just the way society has changed i don't know if that's like trauma from growing (laughs) up where our needs weren't prioritized ever so now we've just completely flipped it and like it's all about the kids and they're super selfish and entitled all the time but i don't know personally for myself i can remember being home when i was sick as a kid like kids get runny noses they stay home whatever what was on TV was either Jerry Springer or Antiques Roadshow. And through those two shows, oh, I found yep. out the world is full of weirdos that are interesting and fun to watch. <laughs> people I don't want to be like or people I want to right. avoid. And Antiques Roadshow made me appreciate things and you look after them. like These things right. that can't be remade, once they're gone, they're gone. That told me to appreciate what physical things we do have and not going out and buying the brand new thing that's off the shelf. Right. Yeah. We used to watch that and then we would go on garage sales and look for those, you know, got to look for something that might be worth a bunch of money. That was 60 bucks. Right. Yeah. So that's the two-pronged approach. We have kids that are lacking interest in anything or willing to have a go. They have that oppositional defiance disorder because they are being socially conditioned, not just within the school, but in society as a whole, because they're not actively connecting with families. So I think before you even right. need, before you address unschooling, you need to make sure that your family's working as a family unit, that you're doing right. things as a family, spending time, that you're making sure your children are 
appreciating and understanding what you value as a person and whether your kid decides, yeah, I agree with that or not. So be it. At least you're letting your children be aware of who you are as a person. This is where we stand. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, bef- yeah. And I've heard that when people pull their kids out of public school or uh, private school, that they do a year of de-schooling where we don't really do anything. Um, and I just don't know that I can get on board with that. Like, I need some level of structure. Like, Yeah, I think that's the danger people go into. People go into homeschooling like, Everything about mainstream school is the devil. It's bad. Right. There's a level of routine in your daily your daily life. You wake up at a certain time, you have breakfast, you go out, do your chores, you might feed the chickens. You have a routine to keep yourself going. You need that in some form of education, no matter what it is. If it's a free right. for all, that's when it fails. And those are the people that come out and go, we tried homeschooling for a year and it didn't work. So little Timmy's back at elementary school. Right, right. You have to do it or- right. So- it, it can't be that or the opposite of that is where you try to recreate public school at home because that work. also doesn't, doesn't work. No, because it's a home environment. 100% yeah. agree. So there's a few things that I I can suggest to people. You need some kind of a, a routine. You need some kind of a, a timetable to work off. Maybe something that your child has their voice and agency and they can contribute to it. Well, I'd prefer we do maths in the morning because um, I get tired in the afternoon. Great. No worries. We can do maths in the morning because you get tired in the afternoon. Well, how about we do sport in the afternoon or we do, we'll go outside and that can be our physical exercise. Get your kid involved. Then they feel like they've got ownership over it. And then if you get to the point where you are, where you get that oppositional defiance disorder or the, I don't want to do anything type of stuff, really hone in what you're doing. So my advice for you after this little experiment where he's doing his government school at home pick a project get him to pick something he wants to do and you subtly and sneakily you fit in maths reading writing um, geography all these things into one project Um, we call them like a personal learning project where a kid will go off and they'll research they might make something could paint something could build a diorama what have you whatever but it's weeks of work culminating into something that they can present and get them to present it to your family jump on a zoom call and present it to grandparents or cousins whatever then they've got ownership of it and it's not the oh i've got to do it because mum says i've got to do geography at three o'clock right (laughs) yeah and i don't know like how long we're gonna let this experiment last um and he went to public school for I mean, he was in daycare and then he was in public school for a while up until COVID. Um, And that's when my husband took him out. So I don't know if he's just so programmed into that schedule because the two pages of math he would take just as long as he's taking now for all of the subjects. It's the same amount of time, even though we've tripled the workload. And that boggles my mind. Like, I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, that's what we saw as government educators in COVID that we had to step down the amount of work and we thought we were being like really, really respectful of like family home dynamics and things like that. But kids were knocking out all their learning within the first two hours of the day. Then they jump onto their Zoom call and say <laughs> hi to us. They'll be gone. They're done. 
And all that's the amazing. Ev- I know, right? But all the evidence has shown us the evidence, air quotes, children do not have the capability up to the age of 11 or 12. They can only actively learn for three hours a day. Right. But we, we have kids at school for essentially like a seven hour day, seven and a half hour day. And that doesn't include Bullshit. before or after school care, right? Mm-hmm. So why are we pushing kids to be at school for these hours? If you're homeschooling and three hours is the day's learning, that's fine, but make it quality three hours. Make sure it's right. not a, I've done my sheet. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. What did you, let's right. put it into practice. It's not just a, this hour's for maths, but I've done the sheet in 15 minutes, so I'm now going to watch television. That's where mm-hmm. you need to hold yourself to account and your children. Right. For sure. There's an an Instagram account I follow. I can't recall her name, but she said our education system would be a lot better if we would just accept that most of public school is childcare for parents who need to work outside the home. So would you put your kid in a childcare system where they had to be working the entire time? No, you wouldn't do that. So if we could change up the school system and say, okay, we're going to do this amount of learning, three hours, and then make the rest of it child-led play or activities or art, things like that, it would be so much better for kids and society as a whole. Yeah, and I think the government systems tried to, they've, they've made it a cop-out. They have a five-hour five hours of official learning with your recess and your lunch in there. So they say that's the play. Then they try to take into account, well, your children go to specialist classes. They might go to art on this day and they might go to PE and they might go to um, sign language. They might go to computer class. They try to pass that off as this is the break they get from the learning, but it's still the learning. If we had the first three hours of the day as the, the hard stuff, the stuff that you really have to push yourself cognitively to learn. And the rest of the day was, like you said, could be uh, a choice of your interests. Like I'm going to go over to the sports stadium. I'm going to spend the day playing games. Um, I'm going to go into the computer hub and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to code for the day. I'm going to program a robot to do something. I'm going to go to the art room and I'm going to work on an art project. Then it becomes unofficially school. And it's, it's a program for your kid to be in, that's not forced learning. And that's the problem, like you said. Right. Yeah, it would be a completely di- different dynamic if they could have a little bit more freedom and less learn, learn, learn. Like I am doing my herbalist certification and there's no way I could sit there and read that and fill out quizzes for seven hours a day. There's no way. Like, sure, I could probably do it and I could probably pass, but I wouldn't be retaining all of that information. No, and I'm just thinking about this on the fly now that we go through elementary school, we go through high school, sometimes we go to community college or we go to university, and that's where we pick up our knowledge about more complex things for a profession. Imagine if you could start learning that stuff in school, if you could start learning about agriculture outside of your learning, and that's what you start, (laughs) or you could learn about, I don't know, design at the basics of it while you're still at primary school. And some schools in Texas do that as like an extra curricular. I know there's like cosmetology programs (laughs) 
that they I know it's so random. I mean, I there's probably other ones I just haven't heard about them because you know I'm a chick with cosmetology friends, so I know that they do that. But I think you have like there's certain requirements, like you have to be this far done or have this many credits or whatever it is. But if we society would just be completely different if we didn't waste literally the best years of our life doing fucking quizzes it's just stupid they're spending the most formative years of their lives doing something they get no credit for the credit they get is whether you get to go to university or not right we've taken away that we've taken away the old school thing of the apprentice and the master where at least a kid in that situation would have a qualified trade by the time they're 15 you don't see that anymore yeah and it doesn't make any sense like if you're gonna be there and you're i mean what is a high school diploma even worth anymore the ability to like work that. at McDonald's as a manager. Right, right, right. Because I've, in my spare time, when I'm really overwhelmed with the kids, I'll get on and, like, look at job opportunities just for funsies. It's my little not therapy therapy. <laughs> and I don't have a college degree. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I was homeschooled. I graduated at 16. Um And I have a lot of work experience because I love to work. Um, When I was 17, I worked three jobs and I loved it. It was great. But a high school diploma anymore doesn't get you jobs. Like even for social media work, which is what my expertise is in, they want you to have a bachelor's degree. With 20 years experience. (laughs) Right, right. But still hip enough to to be in the trends right yeah so exactly. it doesn't make any sense like and then what they pay you if i had a bachelor's degree i am not gonna work full-time for you for 14 dollars an hour no Are you out of your mind and your bananas you get, and then you get trapped in the whole idea of university being the be all and end all you get a master's degree or a bachelor degree or a doctorate and then you find if you don't want to work in the field you're qualified in you're too qualified for any other job. You're overqualified. Yeah. Yeah. The the going joke is if you leave teaching and you're applying for new jobs, you don't put down that you're a teacher because you won't get a job anywhere. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. It's insane. And I don't understand. I mean, I do because of our belief system, but I don't know how everybody else can't wrap their mind around the system. Like, it's not designed to succeed or help us succeed. All school does is teach you how to be a good worker, and that's that's it. It's the factory model for a world without factories. That's the problem. Yeah. So what, if we're thinking about, we know unschooling, air quotes, in the way it's thought of generally, is not impossible. What is a a way you can wean kids off the schooling system? What would you do? If you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, let's just pretend you're taking your kids out of school now. It's the first time. What would you do now opposed to what you've done? Would you change anything? Uh, I I think so. So Kale and I were dating when he took Spencer out of school because it was COVID. Um, and he didn't really do anything with him. And I think that got him a little bit too, I'm going to sound like Miss Trunchbull, just too soft. 
Like they're just too <laughs> soft now. So I don't know. I think on Etsy there are a ton of homeschool mom made mini unit packets is what they call them where it's just like an in-depth study on strawberries sea turtles like whatever it is and they learn about the life cycle of a sea turtle and the anatomy and their habitat and all of that with some art projects and things like that and I think that's the way I would do it if I could do it over again is I all right this month we're going to go slow and maybe we'll only do, you know, a little bit of this a day and we'll throw in some YouTube videos and then maybe we'll go to the aquarium and make it real for them. But just more guidance as you're stepping away from the public school, like don't swing so far that it's just kind of a free for all. Yeah. It's, and when you're talking about like Etsy and, all these types of platforms where teachers upload and share their programs or their work or their packs or their themes or whatever they're working on mm-hmm. because it's a system where you, a lot of the time you buy them, you buy a subscription, you have to look for the ratings, look at the star ratings. And that generally gives you an indication whether it's any good or not. Like all things right. that are decentralized, you're only going to go for the things that work. It's like if you were to buy a car from a neighbor that's got three wheels on it, it's not going to operate the (laughs) the best way, is it? So you look for the best and you take the best. That's the best thing about the system that's currently happening at the moment. So many well-meaning teachers who are disenfranchised by the system, they're trying to opt out by creating their own content and their own curriculum, which I think is achieving wonders. You see teachers in classrooms using it, for heaven's sake. So that's something you definitely tap into, yeah. Yes, it's it's a great resource. We've, I've printed off a lot of those because um, I only have math and language and health for our oldest, like in the curriculum, it's really expensive. So I only bought like three subjects. So to fill in the blanks for his little public school experiment, I've been on Etsy and there are great um, units on like, oh, Sorry, I got distracted. So there's great unit studies on like Van Gogh is one that I printed off. And segue, I went to the library to get him some books to go along with his worksheets because he was just breezing through it, like being all cocky, like, yeah, I can do it. I just don't want to. We're just having a power struggle, you know, it's fine. So I went to the library and I asked the lady who was there if she had any Vincent Van Gogh books. And she said, what's his last name? Oh my God. No, no, it gets worse. So I'm like, Vincent Van Gogh. And she goes, is he a writer? What did he write? What book are you looking for? Yes. Yes, that happened. And I've never wanted to ask someone so much, like, did you go to public school? You went to public school, didn't you? It was bananas. Like, my eyes were so big. Like, I hope I didn't insult her, but maybe you need to be insulted. Like, but, and to work at the library, I'm pretty sure, like, you have, again, that's one that you have to have a degree. You would be a bit worldly about it, wouldn't you? That that offends me as, as a lover of Van art Go? and an art teacher. That just boggles my mind how you don't know who that is. I was shocked. What did he write? What's his last name? Uh, he, <laughs> I, I I was just like dumb. I was like Vincent. 
Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh? Where like, is he where is he going? <laughs> it was bananas. It was bananas. You went to public school. I just know it. I just oh know it. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Since we're on the topic of art, this is another thing you can do to help unmainstream school your kids. Unfortunately, no, because of budget constraints and things that are happening, particularly in Australia at the moment. In my state, school camps are pretty much off the table. It's going to cost too much money for school camps. So your kids, in if you have a child in a government school in Victoria at the moment, you're pretty much expecting your child will never go on a school camp for the next four years, which is horrific and I hate it. So you need to think about if you're unschooling your kid, you need to give your child the opportunities that they would normally get in a public school as well. So that means camps. That That's simply just going away and camping as a family. Um, excursions are fantastic. You can ha- fill in your entire day of learning in one excursion. Right. For example, yeah. something that I'm doing at the moment is um, within Melbourne, our capital city, there's a Monet exhibit where he, all his work is projected up in this big exhibition centre. So I've selected 10 students from my school to take away for an excursion for that. And we're going for it. That's our whole day. That's a day of learning. That's, That's amazing. Um, yeah. That is very unheard of for most schools. It's We're in school. Let's have a look at some Monet pictures and let's try to replicate a Monet picture. Mm, nah, not good enough. So get creative. Get creative. Which I loved. I saw you sharing on your Instagram, taking the kids out to pick strawberries. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, we did the strawberry. We did we did the strawberry unit study that I was talking about. And all week, like I pumped it up, like, we're gonna go strawberry picking. Let's learn all about strawberries. And they were like, strawberries. (laughs) You know, so it was amazing. And my um our youngest boy is still asking me like him every day when we get in the car, are we going to go pick strawberries? Can we go pick strawberries today? I'm like, no, that's not an everyday thing. Like, no, I'm glad that you had fun though. Like it was amazing. They loved it. So then all week we learned about, again, the cycle of a strawberry from seed to full growth, um, the nutritional value of a strawberry, like, the stem and the leaf are the most nutritious part of a strawberry and we learned the anatomy of a strawberry we colored strawberries and then they got to go and pick and eat all the strawberries and it was amazing just making it real to them and that way you know it's not as boring you know just sitting there learning about things that have no relevance to your life yeah and that's the trap that a lot of like you said the parents fall into they try to recreate school at home and that will be having your kids sit at a table for two hours straight before they can go out and play for 15 or 20 minutes yeah and don't do that because the beauty of homeschool is the freedom like you can just take off for the day when i was being homeschooled we live in texas and learning history we didn't really follow a curriculum but we would just hop in the car and we would pick a direction and we would go and we would stop at historical markers like there i don't know if you have those there but we would pull up to a spot there would be a big stake in the ground that would have all of the information about why this place was historic and we would read it and it would be real to us like oh this is where it happened and then we would go and we would research and go get books about that place and it was fun because we got to experience learning instead of just like 
reading words on the page like charlie brown this is what disheartens this is what disheartens me as a teacher i think it's what kills the passion of teaching for most educators that you know what you're capable of as an educator and you know what you could achieve it's the restraints of a centralized system that holds you back if i had the ability to be paid by 10 families and all of them only had one kid each it doesn't matter if there was an age group starting at prep all the way to year six. I could teach them the same content or the content they needed, but I could deliver it in such a rich and engaging way. I think I could perform better outcomes than what a government or private school of would course. do. Of course. Of course. It's the system of when you decentralize, you're forcing the best of the best to rise to the top. And people realize right. that and they recognize that. And if you're not good at that, you will fail and no one will want to use your services. When you have a system right. that ha- just has the teacher there because they're the teacher, you're not going to have the best. No, I agree with that. And I think classes are way too big. Like my husband's youngest son is in public school and their schools are so big that each class only gets PE once a week. So you kind of have to rotate. So everybody gets a chance to use the gymnasium. And that's bonkers to me. Like, if you have classes that big and that many, I don't think you can deliver the education each child needs. Like, there, of course, there are going to be numerous students who fall through the cracks. Yeah, and the, the issue that I see, that's, and it gets thrown around a lot, that teachers need to differentiate, which, yeah, which we do. When any teacher will know, and if they're worth their salt, know that you're going to have a student that comes into your classroom that could be three to four years in advance of where they are or three years, four years in deficit of where they should be. So you're naturally always differentiating all the time. The problem is when you've got 30 students that are all at different areas themselves, how can you justify each individual child getting the time they deserve to grow as a student? You can't, you can't justify it. You can't honestly say as a teacher, I'm giving every single student the opportunities that they need because you know, deep down, they're not getting it. Right. You can be well-meaning and try your best, but it's not happening. Yeah. Especially here where teachers teach for kids to pass tests and not to actually learn things. Yeah. Because all of their funding comes from having a specific amount of passing grades. That's what we call the data spiral where teachers get so focused on getting students to pass the test and make their data look good that sure their kids could answer the questions on the test but can they apply it is it applicable in real life do they know how to use it well are no. they going to remember any of it exactly yeah. um an example would be five six students as a composite class for year fives and year sixes together they spent two weeks work learning about symmetry in maths they came to me in art and I'd thought that I'd line up a lesson for them for symmetry and artwork. They could not apply it in practice. They could tell me what symmetry was, how it works in mathematics. They could not apply it in another form. That tells me they well, don't actually understand it. That's a lot of our society. Like we're all textbook smart. I mean, not all of us. Like, let's not get <laughs> too, let's not, let's not go there. But most people who go to college have a degree they're textbook smart but they're not practical life skills intelligent yeah they're the the people that have a a degree in psychology or a degree in medicine and they can't put an ikea furniture together right yeah or we were or are socially awkward at events and can't talk to people 
we were joking about that at a four-way stop the other day and i was like you know you can't be mad at them they have gone their entire life all of their formative years being told exactly what to do when to do it and when there is not someone or a green light to tell them to go they don't know what to do you can't figure it out because you're not nobody's telling you exactly what to do there's no problem solving and it definitely derives from the the idea that the fundamental life skills aren't there anymore the life skills that everyone needs to know aren't being taught and the gross assumption is that government or teachers or the system expects that families are teaching them and the polar opposite is true because families think the school's teaching it and we're not right i don't know if schools i don't know maybe school teachers think that but i i think the people who are higher up know the game that they're trying to play oh yeah so yeah and i mean most of the time parents get with kids is downtime it's dinner it's chores it's bedtime bath routine it's not hands-on practical let me teach you how to balance a checkbook yeah and it's and it's not that even the practical well-meaning downtime with families like we used to have right if you're in a family and both of you are working and dad gets home after five o'clock and he's just sitting down for dinner he wants to relax the kids have got to be in the back room to be quiet so they're on their ipads oh look at seven o'clock seven thirty it's time for bed where's mm-hmm. your downtime with families then you throw into it how parents tried to overcompensate by having their kids have extracurriculars in a negative way oh you're going mm-hmm. to go to piano practice on saturday i'll pick you up at in two hours uh your brother's got yeah. football he'll go play that there's still no genuine time with your kids because you're outsourcing your responsibility as a parent yes it's great for your right. kids to have interest and to engage in those things but if and you're opportunities not, and opportunity mm-hmm. but if you're not backing that up with the family engagement side of it the right. point's kind of mute right uh I don't even I don't even know like do we even know how to have those interactions anymore as a society that's so consumed with technology do we even know how to interact with each other Probably not I don't think we or I, we I think we see that more and more with the younger kids coming through that the the screen generation is becoming known They're yeah. not just that, They're not just socially yeah. having issues or not connecting in the right way. They're physically becoming different. Their, their posture and their neck positions, the way they speak is different from any other generation. Their speech right. is delayed. Everything's being impacted by it. And this was even prevalent in my age group. My last marriage fell apart because of video games. Like that was one of the biggest reasons my last marriage fell apart is he was addicted to video games. He would go to work. And he would come home and immediately get on a video game. And he would be on until 2, 3 in the morning. And I remember, like, our daughter, she was a baby. And he missed so much. And he would get so mad at me for calling him, like, hey, she's laughing. Come look. And he would be in the middle of, like, a raid or boss or whatever. And he would be mad, like, genuinely mad at me for interrupting his video game and that's a society of people we have raised i'm very lucky because i mean in some ways because my parents were very religious um and we didn't have internet we lived in the country 
Um, and they did not allow me to have social media. I mean, I was a teenager when Facebook came out and they were very adamant, like it was only on the family computer. Um, I had one of like Blackberry phones, you know, like you had to swipe the people are not even going to know what I'm talking (laughs) about, where you had to like push the cell phone up to have the keypad, you know? Um, And there were no touch phones, thankfully, you know, we didn't have just that consumption Um, and anything I wanted as far as cell phones, I had to pay for. So I think that's a little bit different. And there was still that accountability of like no phones in your room, no phones after 5 p.m. This gets done before this. And so a lot of that was teaching me, whereas my ex didn't have that. Like his parents kind of just sent him to public school. He got to do whatever he wanted to do, have access to anything his parents bought his I'm, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark that he would have been of an upper middle class family or middle class. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah. the trend that I see up particularly upper middle class. So families that have generally bad, a working class background, of course you want better opportunities for kids and you want them to have the things that you never had, but they're not giving the kids the, the idea that you have to work for it or to value what they're having. So you've got these right. kids that are coming through they want for nothing. They're given things at the drop of a hat. If they tower or throw a tantrum and break a controller on a PlayStation, they go and buy a new one. They don't have to work for a new one themselves. They don't have any kind of repercussions for the things that are going on. And we are seeing those as the most egocentric driven people ever. And the danger is if they have no connection to family, they have no connection to peers. What type of a person are they going to be in society? Like if we want a functioning working society and those people are completely centralized, what's that going to do for anyone? The society we live in, we're just so selfish. Like everyone is just so selfish. And I, I think that's a social media technology thing. Like I, I really do like, I put together a study packet for our oldest that was about leave it to beaver. So I bought the first season DVDs and he watched, we would watch episodes together in the evening and then he would fill out pages about the history then and then the history now, like the policies on education then, and there were none versus the education policies now. And there's like eh, all of them. So just the difference in that. And you look and you watch those episodes with the family unit. nobody was glued watching tv nobody was watching tv um and i just i don't understand it so much of our lives and education and kids and families are destroyed by technology it's a double-edged sword we've got kids that have in a social setting they can have 2,000 friends on Facebook, but they might only ever talk to one or two people at school. Right. And it's the people that are online that are saying things about them that make them depressed or suicidal, or um, they may be doing that to other people online and they don't actively know the person. Right. And so much of our lives are now on screens that we take it so personally because what is life outside of Instagram or Facebook? 
Facebook or TikTok or whatever because people don't have those real connections. Yeah, the town centres move to a virtual online screen and people don't mm-hmm. actually interact anymore. So that's right. a danger, that can be a danger in itself. Um, if we're unschooling kids and you've got your child at home, how do you make sure that your child is still getting the social interactions that they may be missing from school? What would, what do you do? So we have a bunch of homeschool friends that we do. Like when we went strawberry picking, we went with a couple other families that also homeschool their kids. And we do that. Um, we, up until recently, had our oldest in a lot of activities. So he was doing an art class and a Ninja Warrior class. And that was just a conversation we had to have. Like, look, we are running ourselves ragged and spending a lot of money. And you are refusing to get things done that you know that you need to get done. And then you still expect those privileges and their privileges. So we've kind of lessened lessened our load with that. But, I mean, the opportunities are there, um, especially where we're at in Texas. If you want, like, a, the art class he was going to was specific for homeschool kids. So you can find those groups with different activities. So, like, I know there's a kids homeschool basketball team and all of those things locally. So if you want your kid around other like-minded families, the opportunities are there. Um, it might take a little bit of research and money and, oh my gosh, the time you'll spend driving to those things is kind of bonkers. But you can find those activities. Um, and then he has other friends. He still is in contact with friends from his public school days. And they'll FaceTime and talk and things like that. So I don't I don't think my husband was not homeschooled. And he's like, I just wonder if we're doing the right thing socially because he is a very social kid. And I'm like, eh, he's also a bit of a follower and he likes to people please. And that would maybe not be a good combination for bullying and peer pressure. So let's do this instead. I was homeschooled. I turned out fine. Like, it's going to be all right. Like, I hated my parents in the moment, but like now I see the opposite, like all of my peers who were in public school, like just the difference is kind of startling. <laughs> you hit on a few a few points that I think is really important. You made your your eldest accountable for his actions and how he was how he was valuing those opportunities. You still had right. those opportunities available to him, right? And he had the option of opting in, but if he right. wasn't being respectful of all the things, the hard work that you're doing as parents to make those available for him, that's when you made him accountable. At the same time, you're accountable for yourself as a parent. Too many parents these days are eager to please. They want to be their kid's friend first and not the adult, not the parent. And I get it. Like, who doesn't want to be loved, especially by this thing that you made? And like, of course I want you to like me and look up to me and think I'm awesome because I love you and I think you're awesome, but you can't, It I, I feel like it can't be both ways. You can't be best friends and a disciplinarian. And me and our oldest have gone through this a lot because um, my husband is significantly older than me 
So my generational gap with our oldest isn't too much. I mean, it's enough. All right. Like, don't freak out or anything. Like, it's, we're not like super close in age. (laughs) But sometimes I feel like he looks at me more as like a buddy than like an authority figure because I am only 29 and he's 11. But like, no, I, I know what I'm talking about. Like we can play video games together, but bro, do your chores. So (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, and I, I absolutely agree with you coming from the right place that of course you want your children to love you. Like, what parent doesn't, but it's a balancing act. And it's, right. it's the same thing as a relationship. A relationship isn't going to go one way. A relationship with your significant other is a balancing act. The relationships you have with your children are a balancing act. It's right. making sure, and it's, it's bloody hard work. It is. It's going to be hard oh. work. And if you've got the fortitude and the ability to keep going, even on your tough weeks where your kid screams and you says, I hate you because I don't want to do this. And you're able to right. rebound from that. You are stronger for it. And your kid at the end of the day will come back to you when they're an adult, when they've got kids and gone, they'll say, buddy, hell mom, I'm really thankful that you, you held me accountable for the actions that I did as a kid. I right. was a shit. Like I was a shit. Like, right. I had conversations it- like that with my parents. I can't believe I did the things I did when Ooh. I was a kid. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That little, I have an idea. Let's do a public school experiment. I was like, I, that was my line. Like I use that. Like, no, you think you're clever. You're not clever. You know, your game. I invented your game. I was homeschooled. I know what you're doing. I never said I wanted to go to public school. Yet you did. Like, I I know you. (laughs) I was you. That's where well, you should have thrown the option of our, like a really, really, really bad version of like a, a public school. Like, oh, let's look at some schools. Oh, this one has the highest violence rating in the region. Would you like to go to that school? <laughs> would you like to go to this one? Uh, I mean, you would think like the simple fact of when the bus comes to our house because we're out in the middle of nowhere is like 545. Oh. Is when they're loading kids. It's early. It's early. And I'm like, man. I don't understand. I just like I know because I was him, and I remember crying to my dad, like Becky, me, like please let me go to public school, please, 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 please. And you know, I was so much like our oldest. Like I didn't want to do chores. I didn't want to help with my siblings. I didn't want to sit there and be the only big kid because I was the oldest too. He's the oldest, so like I know exactly what you're going through and I will meet you in the middle, but you got to show some effort. Like if we're paying for art class and you want to go to art class, but you haven't done your art assignment for the week. What's the point? You're not valuing (laughs) it. Are you right? And you got to think, put yourself in your kids shoes as well. It's going to be hard for them. Homeschooling back in the day when there wasn't as much social media or film showing mainstream schools. It was different. You didn't know what you didn't know. Now kids right. who are homeschooled know what public school is. They watch well, movies. They see how fun schools look on these um, right. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, all this fun stuff, but they don't know what it's like on the inside in reality. And that was the way it was for me because when I was being homeschooled and I was his age, my favorite movie was High School Musical. 
And I just remember thinking like, oh, drama club. That would be amazing. I could kiss Zac Efron, right? <laughs> like that was all of my preteen dream. Not understanding like that public school had like 400 kids and none of them were a Zac Efron, right? <laughs> so I had I had that, you know, FOMO, as you call it, you know, fear of missing out. Not as much as I think the kids now do because I don't think the propaganda was like so much, but it was definitely there. Do you know what the funny thing for me was as an Australian kid? Because our schools just don't operate the way the states do. I would always see kids sitting down in that lobby eating their dinners, their lunches together, and thinking that would be the coolest thing ever to go to school and get food given to you by this by the school and get your, right. your juice box and you get your uh chili or you whatever they have and you sit there and maybe there might be a food fight that sounds awesome and right. now I'm thinking about it oh my god schools are feeding children who knows what's in that food is it nutritious what's going on right right so it yeah just the difference in like what I felt like I was missing out in the moment like I'm missing out on all of these milestones that all of my peers get with like the Letterman jacket and the extracurriculars not taking into account my entire school is an extracurricular and the school schedule and school load and the bullying and the mean girls and the peer pressure and the violence and all of that that I was being kept from was worth not having the Letterman jacket. (laughs) That you wear for one year because you think you're cool. And then if you wear it after high school, you're a loser, right? Oh, they generally become cops, right? The ex-football players. That couldn't <laughs> go anywhere. Yeah. They have the hero complex because yeah. they, they right. peaked in high school and couldn't go any further. Right. Anyway, if right. you're doing the high school experiment at home, who's playing the role of the popular girl and who's being the bully? Has, oh, me. Has he been, We've, has he been shot we... in a locker yet? <laughs> no, he hasn't. But Kale and I have been joking. Oh, it's so funny. I hope this doesn't get played in court. But... Uh, we were talking the other day. He woke up late. Like I, I told him the night before, I was like, hey, you need to set your alarm so you can get up in the morning and take a shower. Like you haven't taken a shower. And, like he's 11 and we're just really struggling with this behavior thing where he literally doesn't want to do anything. He just doesn't want to shower. Like if it doesn't, if it's not like outside playing or making clay figures or whatever, he's just not interested. And like, it's not depression. Like, we know that it's not that. It's just, like... Apathy. Like, I am coming into my own. I am the man of the house, right? Like, all of this. Just wait till he starts grunting. He does. He sighs at me. (laughs) He sighs at me, like, ugh. Like, what was that? What? So, the other... When he didn't wake up early and he didn't take a shower, Kale and I were were joking, like, you would be the, the smelly kid in school. You'd get bullied for that. And so then I had to pull out my, uh, Spencer's a gross kid. And then I was like, mm, but I heard his dad is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. I laughed. Spencer didn't laugh. Spencer, we wear pink on Wednesdays. <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> That's my spot. That's my friend's seat. You can't sit there. <laughs> right. Jump in the yeah. car and drive around the block a couple of times, then come home pretending it's the school bus. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. My husband's been messing with him as he passed his little desk area and he'll like make jokes and distract him. And I'm like, oh, you need to go to the principal's office. 
<laughs> Bill's the class clown, and I'm the main girl and the principal somehow. <laughs> fun little experiment. So I told him the other day, I was like, you're right. This is a fun experiment. He was not pleased. <laughs> I'll be keen to uh, find out when he decides to drop it off and go back right. to what it was. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you will be dying for two pages of math by the time this is done. <laughs> but definitely go down the route of um, personal learning projects if you ever find that the defiance or engagement is dropping off. That's always a good way to go. Like do a mind yeah. map of like, what are your interests? What do you want to learn about? What do you find fun? Okay, it's mapped out. Let's try and do a project on one of these. How would you like to present right. it? That type of stuff. Because I definitely don't want him to have the same feelings towards homeschool that I had because my parents weren't very engaging. And it's kind of like in marriage where if you want your spouse to be home with you and not out with the guys, you kind of have to fill that role of being a buddy. And it's kind of the same for homeschool. Like if you're going to keep your kid home, you also need to make sure that they're being engaged and they're getting the appropriate interactions throughout the day to keep them going. Um, Because my homeschool wasn't very engaging. It wasn't, um, we did the fun field trips and stuff, but for the most part, I was kind of on my own. And I wish because I had that entrepreneur spirit that my parents had been like, hey, let's start your business. Like, let's get you going. Let's see what you can do and how much money you can save and where you're at. And I told Spencer that the other day, like, you figure out what you want to do. And if you start that at 11, by the time you're 18 or the time you want to move out, you'll be set. Like, if you start saving money now and you start your art skills and you start selling paintings and you get better and you get better and you save money and you put it back when you are 18 you could easily rent a loft apartment downtown and have an art gallery where you teach art classes and you make money doing something that you love easily and we could help you and get you set up with that if you wanted to have a food truck you could start putting money back and you and dad could fix up a van and you could learn all the math that you need to know and recipes and fractions and how to budget for a business and you get your license you could hit the road and do your food truck thing like there's so much freedom that you could have that's the point i'm trying to get across is that kids could have the world in their palms they could have the world in their hand it could be theirs if they if you could give them the opportunities of something they loved and they wanted to do god the things they could achieve you the kid could be set up by the time they're 25 and i think with spencer i think Part of it is like that defiant coming of age. I'm a man now, but I Learning also think you part are, of yeah. it, part of it is he's scared of how much freedom and how much possibility is out there. And for an 11 year old, like I get that, like that could be intimidating. Like you have the entire world and it is yours for the taking. If you would just like hone in your skills a little bit more, like so close. And I think that potential scares him a little bit. This sounds really blasé, but you know what it might be good for him? And it's very mainstream. Find a TED talk, listen to it first, but find something by an entrepreneur, someone who had an interest in something and then made something out of themselves by hustling and pushing themselves. That's Motivation, a really good idea. Motivational speeches can go a long mm-hmm. way, especially for kids. Yeah. Because they yeah. get to see like the end result. Kids don't understand. They're very in the now. 
I don't mm-hmm. want to do a, I don't want to work on fractions. I hate fractions. I don't like right, them. I don't right. understand them. And then if you see the end result of, hey, I'm a guy who owns a business of food trucks across the state and I rake in $2 million a year just by that and I, I'm the boss of 60 people. Right. Wow, like, look at that. that. That guy's achieved this. It's tangible. It's real. It's not the, right. the abstract I have to do a test every day. Right. Yeah. And that's part of it too. It's just you also, if you want to have your own business, which my husband and I know, you have to be self-disciplined. And that is something that is very hard to teach. I don't even know. Can you teach self-discipline? No, it has to be self-learned, I think. Right. And there's the issue that a lot of kids have learned helplessness at the moment because so many kids are used to being told what to do and how to do it. They don't have the, the capacity or the willpower to go off and do anything themselves because they're so afraid of failure or not sure of right. what to do that yes. they'll never experience that that you have to teach them how, that it's okay to be helpless, but what you do in that situation to solve your own problem, that's the key thing. Right. But I don't know if we actually answered the question of what we aim to do, but I think we covered a lot of points that are important that at the yeah. end of the day, it's what you put into homeschooling as a parent. That's what your child's going to get out of it. Right. Teaching and your don't, children. Yeah. Don't give up. Because my husband and I, like, with this, where he's pushing back a lot, and I remember being in that position where I just cried and cried and cried and begged my dad, like, please put me in public school, please. And he was not budging. And I am very thankful that he didn't. There's a lot of things that my dad got wrong, but that one he got right. And we don't really have a great relationship. And I wish I could just tell him, like, you got that part right. Thank you for that. And so if you're homeschooling and your kid is like pushing back hard, I'm telling you from the other side of the kid who pushed back hard, don't give in. It'll be worth it. Switch it up. Do what you need to do. Refocus. Regroup. Don't give in. Don't send your kids somewhere where your gut is telling you they don't need to be. Yeah, exactly. And if you're disheartened by your child pushing back at home one time a week or once the first time you've ever experienced it, just remember that a classroom teacher gets that every hour of every day from multiple right. kids. So right. it's it's not a, a situation of what you're doing. It's kids, kids in general. They're figuring out who right. they are, trying to understand their place in the world. And it's going to be scary for them. They don't understand things and they're still developing their concepts of how the world works and who they are as a person and how they navigate it. So don't get disheartened by it. I dare say you're all doing the right things. Education at the moment, even though it's, it seems very centralized with the benefits of technology. There's so many answers out there. There's so many people you can reach out to. This podcast is only one very small element of how you can help yourself and help your, your children. Things like Etsy, all these online resources, um, Facebook groups, Instagram groups, find people, connect with like-minded people, and you're going to set yourself up for success. Perfect. All right. Well, I think that's our episode for today. What do you think is going to be our topic for next time? Anything in particular? Maybe we could focus on those um, personalized projects. Yeah, that'd be a good Something one. I like could, that. Yep, I could put some stuff together and have some examples and we can, we can go from there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, guys, that was another episode of the Homeroom Educating Educators. We will catch you again next time. Thank you.